Hello and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, spirit-filled, non-denominational church meeting in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles, or we hope to be again sometime soon. Everything we do as a church is, as with most of the rest of life, currently happening online. Our current teaching series is on prayer, and we're basing the talk each week on one line of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. Prayer is a somewhat basic tenet of a relationship with the divine, isn't it? But in that a lot of us are aware of our own needs and limitations in whole new ways right now, not to mention the needs of our city, our nation and our world, we thought this might be a good time to look in depth at what Jesus meant when he said, this is how you should pray. We hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to our new apartment. And I say ah, because yes, Brandon and I did get married in the middle of a global pandemic. It was great, welcome to, we're glad to have you in our home. Um, new books, new cushion, new plant. So yeah, it's great to have you. Um, our, over the past six weeks, we have been looking at the Lord's Prayer and kind of what is going on behind our perhaps hard to shift child memorization lens. And what has become clear is that there is just so much power here. And this morning we are drawing this series to a close, but with a bang, with a mic drop, may I say. And to be clear, not necessarily because of the content of my talk, but because for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I mean, just saying it out loud uh, gives this sense of bigness, of awe, a recognition of God's majesty. And that's exactly what these last couple of verses are here to do. After petitioning for all that we need, our sustenance, our forgiveness, our protection, we reorient our eyes back upon the one who has already fulfilled it in himself. But even more than that, the Greek meaning in behind here, uh, in the midst of our declaration, gives an invitation to rest. Commentators agree that uh, this kind of last phrasing is what's called a repose. And the best way I can think of describing that is imagine that we have all been, you know, standing up together. We have been saying the Lord's Prayer together standing. We have been uh, declaring who God is. We have been drawing close to him as father. We have been asking for all the things that we need. And then finally, we, get, we like, breathe a big, deep breath um, and all of our concerns and worries start to dissipate. And we fall back into a big cloud-like armchair of his love and we rest knowing that it is his kingdom, his power, his glory and we can simply enjoy him and this is the feeling that Jesus is invoking here, enthroning God, yes, but intimately enjoying and relaxing in our Father's presence and I think that for many of us certainly in light of almost seven months of disconnection and uncertain footing with the pandemic and with the current political confusion and turmoil, there's a lot of fear around how is this all going to end? There's just not a lot of certainty that we can hang our hat on right now, is there? And in response to that, perhaps the restful arms of God and the certainty of who he is doesn't sound like the physical, tangible change that our society needs. 
I mean, there's no time for resting. We need a vaccine. Our hearts, you know, are aching for reconnection. We want to be moving our feet towards justice. We want our side to win, whatever our side is. It's us and them, and we're kind of clinging to our fear-driven, desperate pleas about what we believe needs to change. I mean, the underlying panic of November 3rd is really real right now. So in conscious acknowledgement of that, of what many, if not all of us, are feeling, I want to spend some time exploring one of the most famous psalms in the Bible because David, amidst great turmoil, gives us a sense of how we draw close to God and why it is always God's presence that we need first. He powerfully embodies what these final verses of the Lord's Prayer really mean. And so, just before I continue, Jeremy is going to read us Psalm 27. Thanks, Jez. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling, and he will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart. Wait for the Lord. Both metaphorical and physical Goliaths characterized much of, or if not most of, David's life uh, and his reign as Israel's king. As we just heard Jez read to us, uh, there are enemies to be faced, adversaries, false witnesses, rejection from family, and not forgetting the small issue of uh, the threat of war. And I want us to take a moment to imagine the, I guess, the thundering and overwhelming fear David must be feeling amidst his enemies advancing to devour him and imminent military siege. And yet, he declares in verse four, one thing I ask, this only do I seek, that I dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. One thing I ask, this only do I seek. 
The Hebrew that David uses here is actually really, really, really intense. He essentially is saying one, 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 only one. There is only one thing I want. And there is almost no way that he could uh, express singleness of purpose more intensely than this. The undercurrent of what he's saying is, I don't care what it takes. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care what it costs. I want unbroken fellowship with you, Lord. I don't want to simply know about you with my head. I want to physically and emotionally know you. I want to see your face and experience your presence. And this is the only thing I need. His assurance is even more compelling when you realize that at no point in the psalm, in the song, in the prayer, whatever you want, however you want to describe it, at no point does he ask God for stuff. He doesn't pray, give me more people for my army or help us defeat our enemies or miraculously change our circumstances. And side note, that doesn't mean that those prayers are bad prayers to pray. As we've looked, the Lord's Prayer encourages us to come to God with our needs. But the point is, David is saying, I want the kind of prayer life where I don't just get things from God, although I can ask him. I want the kind of prayer life where I get God himself. He is so assured by God's power and his kingdom that even if Israel is physically defeated by an opposing nation, and even if he is emotionally rejected by his parents, it is in God that all of his needs are satisfied. I mean, mind-blowing faith. I am sure that I am not the only one who feels that that kind of confidence does, you know, not day-to-day characterise their prayer life, especially during the pandemic. And so, if you are feeling spiritually tired or numb uh, this morning, and kind of the concept of this kind of assuredness of faith seems unreachable, that is totally totally normal. Be kind to yourself. Let me remind you that we aren't meant to experience this kind of physical disconnection this long term. Paul describes the church as a body in 1 Corinthians for a reason. When we're apart, we don't work as we should. We have been created to worship together, to call to mind what is easy to forget when we're alone, that God God is good, that he's here, that he draws close, and that his love endures forever. So again, please, please be kind to yourself. But I also think if you are feeling that way, David actually gives us a really clear instruction about how we can experience more of this faith, this your kingdom, your power, your glory kind of rest that I uh, mentioned at the beginning. Let me remind you of verse four again. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. How do we do that? I I think it makes it clear in, in the rest of the verse. He says, by gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. And what does that mean? I think it means what immediately comes to mind to stare, to pause, uh, to gaze, to spend time looking and experiencing, 
to physically remove ourselves from you know our endless political iphone scroll or zoom meetings and to to allow the reality of who god is to lodge itself so deeply within our hearts and minds that we're just always able to recall it i mean excuse the awful metaphor but for example is you can know that jalapenos are spicy by reading an article about them uh, but that's not the same as um, you know experiencing the excitement of their spice and flavor on your palate when you're eating salsa head knowledge heart knowledge you know and in not exactly the same way but you get my point we must not only believe the doctrine of god's love for us but we must also experience and taste it with our hearts so that we can finally relax. This past week, uh, my friend Casey, who I'm sure many of you know, uh, took a self-imposed 48-hour silent retreat. And it was his first time doing it. He just put all of his you know, devices on airplane mode and just went for it, 48 hours of complete silence. And he said that the first four or five hours uh, were filled with thinking about coming back to LA, about finishing graduate school, thinking about going back to work full time, you know, thinking about the effects of the coronavirus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like his mind was filled with stuff of thinking, of processing and his anxieties. But the extraordinary thing was that after he, after he had spent some time being honest about what he was feeling, engaging with his anxieties and what was kind of going on for him, he was able to actually relax into the silence and ask that God would meet with him. And he said that for the rest of the time, although he didn't necessarily feel a clear directive, directive from God, um, he did experience God just simply telling him again and again and again and again how much he loved him. I love you. I am proud of you. You are my son again and again and again for two days. I love you. I'm proud of you. You are my son. Incredibly powerful. And I actually think that is exactly what God is saying to us this morning. I love you. I'm proud of you. Not just as a collective, not just as bread, but to you. Yes, you. To you directly. He loves you. He's proud of you. You are his child. I think he's inviting us to rest in this assurance. Daniel Steele, uh, who was a Methodist minister, wrote this about his personal prayer life. Almost every week and sometimes every day now, a pressure of his great love comes down upon my heart. The inner spot has been touched and my, heart, my heart's flintiness has been melted in the presence of love divine. Jesus, the altogether lovely. This is gazing on God's beauty. Coming as we really are into the presence of who he really is and allowing the heaviness of his love for you and for I um, to rest upon us and transform us, to remind us again that we're safe and that everything that we need is in him. Finally, I want to remind us that there is a monumental difference between us and King David. 
When he talks about seeing God dwelling in his house, being hidden in his sacred tent, what isn't immediately clear to our ears at the our, what isn't immediately clear um, to our ears is that these statements show outrageous confidence. Jewish law only allowed high priests to enter the tabernacle because this is where God's Shekinah glory dwelt. And so Psalm 27 utters such confidence in experiencing God's closeness that even biblical scholars can't quite wrap their head around how David feels this confident and assured that he is also going to experience God's presence in this way. He isn't a high priest. It doesn't make sense, but perhaps also makes it even more powerful. But we, you and I, we no longer live under the law of the covenant as David did. We live under the banner of all that Jesus has already done. And what does this mean for us? It means that we can confidently walk into his presence. We can boldly ask to experience more of his Holy Spirit. And we're not limited to abstractly thinking about what God's glory looks like or his beauty because we can gaze upon Jesus, the infinitely beautiful one. Because through Jesus's death and resurrection, we have been reinstated into right relationship with our Father in heaven and his presence dwells within you. The covenant of the temple has been fulfilled in Jesus and the, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in each one of us. So, whatever you're feeling this morning, whether numb, faithless, scared, alone, disconnected or weak or anything else, we believe in a God who comes and meets with us by the power of his Holy Spirit. We believe in a God who has given us himself and who is always willing to give more of his Holy Spirit to anyone who asks him. Because his is the kingdom, his is the power, and his is the glory forever and ever. Amen. So can I encourage you, as Chelsea ends us by leading in worship, why don't you just stay here for a bit, wherever you are, on your couch, on your bed, uh, on your bed uh, in your kitchen, on your floor, wherever you are. Why don't you just stay there for a moment? And why don't you use this moment as an opportunity to pause and to remind yourself again who God is? Why don't you close your eyes? And be reminded that he is your father. He loves you. He is proud of you. And he's right there with you. And he's inviting you to rest in his arms. I'm just going to pray. And then Chelsea is going to lead us. Lord, I thank you that it is your kingdom, your power and your glory. And I thank you that when we are reminded of that, when we're reminded of who you are, um, there's this sense of rest because we know that everything that we need is fulfilled in you. God, we come to you as we really are with all of our 
worries, anxieties, uncertainties, both kind of massive societal ones and personal ones too. God, we come and we ask that you would uh, bless us by your Holy Spirit. And I ask that in this moment, you would come and would um, just lavish your love upon us again. Would each one of us, each person that is watching this morning, be reminded again uh, of the extravagance of your love? May we be reminded again that there is nothing that is as high and wide and deep as your love. And God, I thank you that in Jesus, we see you. We are able to gaze upon your face and see your beauty. And I thank you for all that Jesus has done, that we can now um, have an intimate, loving connection with you. And so Lord, we just call upon your name and we ask for more of your Holy Spirit. We seek your face and we pray this in your name. Amen. And the crushing and the pressing you're making new wine and the shoreline now surrendered you are breaking new ground so I yield to you unto I will trust you, I don't need to understand Make me a vessel, make me an offering 